but he also did what he preached and he followed through with that to the point of his death and i think that's a a really big aspect of why he is the best teacher because he's not just telling you things but he's also living them in his own life Hello listeners and welcome to Sevi Sit Down, a place of free-thinking Seventh-day Adventist discussion. I'm Jed Frias and our Bible thought of today is taken from Isaiah 41 verse 10 and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. That is the favorite Bible verse of our guest for today, Gil Leva. Gil is a student at the University of Toronto Scarborough campus, where he is pursuing a double major in English and Sociology and a minor in Media Studies. He is the youth leader and the youth elder at the Faith Filipino Church. He is the president of Advent Light Scarborough Public Campus Ministry and the president of FAMCC Youth Committee. Hi, Gil. Welcome to Sevi Sit Down. Hello. Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gil, what makes that your favorite Bible verse? Well, the reason why this makes this is my favorite Bible verse is at some point in my life, I went through a pretty hard time, and it just so happens to be one of the, the verses that spoke to me. And it's really encouraging because it's a very personal verse to me as well, where it it also shows that God is like literally there and that he's there to encourage you and that he's physically there to help you as well. And when I was going through that hard time, it really helped me in regards to that. And so that's why it's just stuck to me and uh, I love it. That makes a lot of sense. So tell us a bit about your religious background. So for me, um, I was born Adventist. Uh, I grew up with Adventist parents, even though they weren't Adventist to begin with. They actually converted. Uh, from from being Catholic, but I always grew up Adventist. So when would you say was your conversion when faith was no longer your parents' faith, but your own personal faith? Like, what would you say is your testimony? So for me, um, my testimony isn't like a cataclysmic event, or in other words, it's not like there was one moment that just, you know, changed my life and I became Christian, It was, or, or rather Adventist in general, or my faith was... Um, more sound it was it was more of a collective thing and so um, for me my testimony actually starts like as I was growing up in the sense that when I was younger I always grew up with this environment of emotionally detached parents in the sense that my mom is she's an Ilocano parent and so she's kind of like very strict Um, and so like I didn't really get this sense of like you know nurturing mother all these different things and my dad wasn't you know just as very strong-willed father and isn't really there and so for me as I was growing up in the church church wasn't something that like I I just kind of did because my parents told me to like as you were saying right where um but I think what really changed me was a lot of people who I met along the way who kind of became this pinnacle point or rather points that led me more towards towards Christ and towards my faith. So I had people like mentors, people like pastors that I met and friends who, you know, who I call, I call very close now who have 
who've actually led me to this point. And I would say that a lot of them have helped me in terms of my faith. And, and by seeing them and their lives have really inspired me to question my own life and what, you know, what is it that I really believe? And I think those are the, those are the things um, that kind of helped me realize where my faith was and to search it more. So, yeah, friendships can be a big help. Mm-hmm. So, as I said in the introduction, that you are an elder at your church. Yes. Those of you who don't know, Gil is in his mid twenties. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, how did you become an elder despite your age? That's actually a very good question. Um, if I'm being honest, well, yes, I'm currently 26. Uh, if you're listening to this now, whatever date this is, but when I became an elder and I, my memory's going away as I'm getting older, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I think I became elder when I was either 19 or 20. And if I'm being honest, the only reason why I became elder at the time was because there wasn't a big sense of youth leadership. And it was almost kind of like they needed they wanted to have a youth representation of some kind and it was about time that they wanted to nominate a youth elder and it just so happened that I was the only one kind of there at the time you know they noticed that I was getting involved in a lot of spiritually based events and you know meeting a lot of spiritually based friends and so they're kind of like oh you know what hey Gil let's nominate him let's have him be the youth elder and I guess at the time like I did have a sense of a, and a passion for for youth at the time as well. So that's kind of what led me to become elder at the time, despite my age. Has your age ever been a hindrance in your role as elder? For me, I, I would say that my age wasn't actually a hindrance um, for the people in the sense that uh, something that I'm very thankful for with my church is they're very supportive with the youth and the ministry and yeah just youth in general so for me when I became elder it wasn't like I was neglected or you know it wasn't like they felt like I didn't know enough um, if anything it, I felt like I myself was a hindrance to my own ministry at the time right because even though age isn't really something that I feel is is relative you know I think that some kids could be like as young as 12 and they can be super mature but for me at the time I felt like there was a lot more I could have done at the time as an elder that I didn't know about, that I was still learning and growing. And so um, I'm just thankful that like my age itself wasn't a hindrance for me at my church, but I know that it can be in different environments and different churches as well. So I'm just thankful that I didn't have that hindrance uh, at my church. It's really good to hear that your church was supportive in that sense. What is your goal as youth leader of your church? So currently my goal as youth leader at my church um, is to give this sense of something to the youth that I really value. And so there's two aspects. So the first one is community. So my goal is, as I shared a little bit, just in a nutshell of my testimony, a lot of people and friends have helped me in my journey with, with getting to know who Christ is, really building on my faith. And for me, I feel one of the challenges that I had as well growing up was I was very antisocial. I was very, um, I had a hard time interacting with other people and, and this sense of belonging. And so one of my goals for my youth or just in youth in general is to create a, a, a community where you don't have to feel unsafe wherever you go. You, you have a sense of a safe environment everywhere you go, that there are people who you can relate, people who you can talk with and understand where you're coming from despite where you are. Um, so that's the first aspect. And the second goal for me is mission. Um, I think a lot of 
youths in general, and this is just my opinion, is that um, a lot of us kind of know a lot, but we kind of don't really do a lot about it. And, you know, regardless of who's, you know, like at fault for that, that's irrelevant. But the point is, I think that we need uh, a greater sense of giving the youth to do something. Because I, I find that a lot of young people are neglected in the sense that, like, sometimes the older folks, sorry for, for saying that, but, you know, for those who are older, so to speak, um, may look down upon the young people and kind of like limit to what they can do. Um, but I think there's just so much energy that we have as young people, including myself, um, as including us. And I think that it's great to have them be able to do things and put their faith into practice as well. Cause it's one thing to know, but it's another thing to do. And I think that that's something that I want to see youth be able to enjoy as well as be able to experience as well, not just their faith, but be able to put it into practice. What are some of the steps that you're taking to achieve that goal? So right now, um, something I do with my youth is, um, because I'm so busy, unfortunately, like I'm not always physically there for my youth, but because of technology, and as you're listening, we have technology where we can communicate, you know, it's something the disciples didn't have. And so for me, one of the things that I'm doing is to really unite our youth. So we have weekly conference calls where we, you know, we, we catch up with each other, see how our weeks are going, you know, have a prayer session for each other. And then when we are together in person, we take the opportunity to like spend time, you know, after Sabbath, you know, whether it be through, you know, Bible study, sundown, and then just hang out, whether it be playing games and stuff like that, as well as being able to hear them out. So one of the things that I like to do is to get a better sense of what they want, right? Like what my youth want. And they actually come up with so many great ideas. So when I, I brought up the idea of mission or just evangelism or, you know, whatever, outreach, in other words, they just came up with so many ideas. And it really shows me that they do have ideas and they have things that they want to do. It's just a matter of allowing them to be able to use, utilize their talents and skills to do what they want. And I think when you, if you express that sense of showing that you genuinely care about the things that they, that they are looking to doing, then they'd be more than willing to do them. And so those are just a few things that I'm trying to do in my youth. Yeah, that's cool. And I think it's interesting and relevant that you brought up the disciples because scholars actually assume that the disciples are much younger than what the stereotypical thought of disciples are because I won't go in too much into it, but like the Bible says Peter was the only one that's married. And at mm -hmm. that time, people got married really young, so which leads us to assume that the disciples were much younger than what we typically think the disciples were, which means that youth, yes, can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are some of the things you are doing or have done with Advent Light, your public campus ministry? So some of the things that we are doing currently is we're reaching out to the Scarborough area uh, in the greater Toronto area and we started off actually trying to build on the core, you know, the, the leaders. So, you know, the executive team, including myself. And I realized that this is something that's really valuable, something that's really important because if we're, we have the mission and the, the, the call to go out and, and, and share things to people, it wouldn't make sense. It's almost like counterintuitive to do that when our, our own, we, we really don't know what we're doing. You know what I mean? And for us, it's, Something that we're doing is trying to build on that core first, but now that we've already built on it, 
what we're trying to do is try to expound now and, and figure out how can we reach out to people within the Scarborough area, um, as well as people on campuses, whether that be for UTSC, Centennial, um, anything like that. And, and so we're just trying to find better means of how to reach out to them and, and really minister to their needs in that regard. I forgot to mention this in the introduction, but I know you are pursuing to become a teacher, right? Yes. Yes. So as Christians always say, Jesus is the best teacher. What makes Jesus the best teacher? Like what traits and evidences would you point to? That's a really good question. Um, I do. I definitely do agree with that statement that I do believe Jesus was the best teacher. And one of the main reasons why I believe he is the best teacher is because something that we can do regardless of whether you're a teacher or a leader, is that sense of example. As I was mentioning before, for me, when Jesus was challenged a lot, there would be times where people would question him like, oh, like you're not following the law. You're doing things like against the law. But Jesus himself, as it says in the Word, that he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. right? And fulfill it in the sense of through his life. He literally lived out his the the law in 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 flesh and for me seeing that example is so huge because sometimes we can teach things or we can tell people that you should do this or should do that but then we ourselves are not doing it and for me to Jesus is like that pinnacle person who as a teacher as a mentor and as a friend throughout his whole life did that he he preached but he also did what he preached and he followed through with that to the point of his death and i think that's a a really big aspect of why he is the best teacher because he's not just telling you things but he's also living them in his own life and to me that's inspiring because I wouldn't want to follow someone who just tells me things but actually lives them as I mentioned in my testimony right it's that is that aspect of really seeing that and and knowing that he did everything that he did that he to the point of his death is so inspiring and that's why one of the reasons why I see him as one of the best teachers in life if not the best teacher I completely agree with you that living by example is the best way to teach. But how can we actually take that and use it in a classroom setting or in a Sabbath school setting? Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's where the challenge comes in, right? This is the unfortunate reality is that you know something that I admit and that we should know is that we're not perfect, unfortunately, right? And regardless of our position, again, whether it be leader, youth elder, whatever. Um, if anyone follows you, then we have a sense of responsibility, right? And I think for me, something that I would want to apply in the classroom setting is number one for myself is to have a better understanding and a better uh, clarity of responsibility as a leader for the people who follow you and the people look up to that I myself have that need to to self-reflect, to self-teach, to to study my and and to reflect on myself, to make sure that when I do go out, you know, for example, if I do go to teach my students, that I'm living up to the expectation that I I want for my students, that I'm not just saying, hey, you know, you guys do this or that you do that, but I'm actually living it. And of, of course, it's easier said than done, but I think that when you put a little more extra effort into that that it really helps. And so um, in terms of more practical aspects, um, obviously, you know, trying to be like Christ, whatever that looks like, 
um, whether that be more loving, whether that be more compassionate, um, but also knowing that God himself is not just a God of just one aspect, right? He's He's also a God who is loving, but he's also just, right? And sometimes I feel that we can like lean towards one or the other. And so in terms of a classroom setting, sometimes we can be so like, you know, you have those teachers who are too laid back and just so loving and then, you know, they get neglected or disrespected. And then you have other teachers who are like too too uh, strong-willed and too, you know, whatever, disciplinary that people don't want to follow because it's like now I'm just like scared of this teacher. So I think it's also knowing a balance as well and applying that balance into your into your life as well and knowing and that can only be done by knowing who god really is yeah i think that was very well said speaking of being a teacher i know that you taught a seminar on how can we know god's will in our life Mm -hmm. so i know we don't have the time for a seminar right now but if you were to condense that how can we know god's will in our life yeah so for me there are as I mentioned in my seminar, there are seven key points that I, I, I mentioned um, to knowing God's will in your life. And of course, everyone can have their own way or their own means of knowing God's will in their life. But this is just the seven things that have really been impactful for me. And so the first one is a living sacrifice. You know, are you surrendering this aspect um, to God in the sense of whether it's a career or, you know, unfortunately, everyone wants to know about relationships, you know, like, is this person meant for me? So are you truly surrendering that and being a living sacrifice and giving that to God? Um, the second key, or rather the second step after that is biblical principles. Is this aspect something that is in line with the Bible? Is it something that makes sense um, from a biblical perspective? After that, it's prayer. Like, do you talk to God about it? Have you asked him? Have you tried to ca- get counsel from him in regards to what decision uh, you should make. After that, step four is godly counsel. After you've talked to God, have you talked to people who you can genuinely trust? And godly counsel in the sense of not just someone who is older than you, right? It could actually be younger than you, but just someone who really expresses that Christ-like character. And have you seek their wisdom? And what are their thoughts on on a decision that you're trying to make? After that step, step five is providential circumstances. Um, and I don't mean like, you know, two birds flow in the sky that therefore this is the decision you should make, right? It, it, it should make sense and it should be in line with all the other steps uh, before. Uh, the sixth step is desire, right? Sometimes we feel that a certain aspect in our life is something that we shouldn't desire, you know, or we feel like, oh, the, the God's will is the most undesirable thing. But, you know, I don't think that God wants you to marry someone you're not attracted to. Nor do I think that God wants you to go into a job that you don't have a passion for, right? Um, as it says in his word that delight in the Lord and he gives you the desires of your heart, right? And it should be something that you have a desire for. And if you don't, then I would really rethink and go back to the first step. Again, have I surrendered it? And then just continue to process in that regard, like going through the steps as well. And then the last step is the easiest, but I think it's the hardest step. And it's the easiest because it's not that hard to, it's, it's simply just, make a decision and do it. And it's easy in that regard, but it's hard because we're talking about a life decision here. We're talking about a decision that isn't like, what kind of food am I going to have, like Chinese or Thai? Like it's it's a, a bigger aspect in that. And so those are just the seven steps. And I think what, like, if I could just, if there's anything that I would share that if you didn't remember any of that, that you could get is just merely always try to process things slowly. Take your time with it and really seek the help and wisdom that you need from whoever, but mainly talk to God about it. Um, and yeah, those, those are just the seven steps that I would go through. 
Good job condensing your 35 minute <laughs> seminar. I tried. <laughs> I tried my best. <laughs> okay, so as I said earlier in the intro, you are the president of FAMCC Youth Committee. Mm-hmm. What is FAMCC and what are some of the things that you do? So FAMCC uh, stands for Filipino Adventist Ministries Coordinating Council. I almost got that wrong because it took me a while to get. But yeah, I'm in charge of I'm the president for the youth committee. Um, and as of right now, what some of the things that we're trying to do is we're really trying to unite the Filipino youth in Ontario, the Adventist Filipino churches in Ontario and their youth to um, not only be more united, but have a better sense of mission as well. So kind of like when I mentioned in the beginning, those two goals that I had, um, that's the two things we're trying to reach for as well with FAMCC. And so, for example, one of the things that we're planning is doing uh, a FAMCC youth camping trip to bring all of the youth together, all the Filipino Adventist youth in Ontario together to go camping and to have a better sense of who God is. And for them to know that there are other culturally Filipino-based people, Adventists, whatever you want to label it as, that are there who can you can relate to and actually get to know. Because I think that was one of the challenges I had growing up is that that sense of like, I could go to like, you know, for example, your church at Mount Zion, but not feel like I belong. And so that's one of the things we want to do at FAMCC Youth is, is create that, that sense that you can always belong no matter where you go, um, regardless of what Filipino church you, uh, Adventist church you attend. What are your thoughts on culturally labeled churches though? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, so for me, if you don't really know me, I'm a relativist, so I'm going to try my best to answer this as best as I can. But for me, I'm I'm for it, but I'm also against it. And I'll explain that real quick. But basically, what I mean to say is I'm for it because I do believe there's definitely a purpose in culturally labeled churches. I do believe that there's a benefit, there's pros and cons to having churches that specifically reach out to your culture. You know, for example, Filipino culture, right? Especially for those who come from you know, the the original country, you know, or, or they come as um, immigrants or whatever you want to call it. And it's harder for them to kind of relate to, you know, someone who isn't culturally in the same bracket as them. Um, so I do, I do agree with that regard. However, I'm also against it in the sense that I find that what happens is we kind of limit ourselves and kind of stay stagnant in the culturally labeled church. And what I mean by that is that sometimes I find that we stay comfortable in whatever labeled church that we are in, whether that's Filipino, Yugoslavian, African, whatever you name it. And for me, I think that what we would really need to do is is reach out to other cultures, right? I think that once we've established that cultural church and they become comfortable, then we should try to encourage more diversity because I think that's something that has been a challenge. And I'm also thankful that we're, we're actually trying to do more with our, for example, our districts in, in the greater Toronto area here, where we're actually trying to get our youth from our districts to be more united. And so like I'm seeing more culturally diverse opportunities for youth as well. Um, so that's, that's how I would really answer it. So I'm for it, but I'm also against it. But at the end of the day, it, it, I, I do believe that there's a purpose for both and that there's definitely pros and cons for both. So I know you're also really big on music. Mm-hmm. Um, so briefly, I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on music in the church and what would you consider acceptable music at churches? Right. That is a very good question. Um, 
as a producer myself, I produce music and I love music. Don't get me wrong. However, as of right now, it's such a, it's a big question, right? I think it wouldn't be fair for me to say, Hey, this is how you should do music. Because at the end of the day, historically speaking, music has evolved throughout the years. You know, back then, the hymns that we have currently, you know, the hymnals, whatever, those are things that were actually so different historically back then. People didn't even, like, may have not supported that. Whereas now we have, like, Hillsong, we have all these different contemporary-based music. And for me, what I can say in terms of music briefly is that, number one, I believe that whatever kind of music you listen to, that if... If it isn't music that is pointing to God, whatever that you define that as, then I would really rethink it, re-question it. And then number two, music is a very emotional-based thing, right? Like there's a lot of feeling that comes with emotion. There's a lot of science that goes behind designing music. Certain sounds can evoke certain emotions. You know, like for example, like a violin can be both happy and sad. And so there's a lot of feeling involved with music. And so I think a second thing to consider is, is this music that I'm listening to, am I really listening to this because I like the feeling of it? Like, am I just like enthralled with, with passion for, for Jesus because of the feeling of the music? Or am I actually like processing this logically, analyzing this and, and really touched by the music, not by feeling alone? Feeling's important. I think we definitely need to have that. But also, is this also impacting me from an intellectual perspective as well? And so, I guess if I were to answer it in, or my conclusion would be, you know, really pray about it. Whatever kind of music you're listening to, you know, I'm not here to say that, you know, Christian rap is bad or, or, or drums at church is bad. Like for me, it's more like, I think that's something that each individual needs to wrestle with and really think about personally between them and God. And I believe God will answer that question for you personally. What are some of the challenges you have in any of your current ministries? So as of right now, I think a challenge that I can have in general in, in my current ministries is involvement. I think the reality is there's just a lot of, you know, as the Bible says, there's a lot of, the harvest is plenty, sorry. The harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. And it's a lot of work, but I think that down the line when people get a better sense of why they're there, why they're, their purpose, you know, and especially in regards to God's plan, then the passion will come through. You know, the, the laborers will come. And I think that's just one of the, the challenges I have is that sense of more people helping out, you know, because it's, it's, it's so hard to do things on your own. But by God's grace, obviously, you're never alone in anything you do. So that's just one of the things that I, I have a challenge for with my current ministries. I think that's a challenge many people have with their ministries. Yep. So what is something that you have difficulty believing in Christianity or Adventism, if anything? I think something I have a difficulty believing in is anything that doesn't make sense. Now, I know that's really, I know that's really like uh, a very vague answer, but I guess to elaborate a little bit on it, what I mean is, um, what I mean by that is that sense of, I believe God is a God who doesn't want us to just take things blindly. And I think that when you do your own self research, when you study, when you have a better sense of who God is and you take your own effort to personally get to know him, his word, um, the things that are in the Bible and whatnot, that by the end you should have a, a solid um, conclusion to to what you believe in. And for me, I don't like that sense of when I study something or I'm told something, I don't always take things at face value. 
And so that's something I really encourage because at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that are being said, you know, whether that be in Adventism or Christianity or just in the world. And I think that it's just hard for me to believe in, in things blindly. I, I, it takes a lot of, it takes a little bit of time for me to process and understand before I believe in anything. Um, but as of right now, as I have done research and I've done myself teaching, and I think that's why I'm still Adventist as we speak, because as of right now, there hasn't been anything else that has shaken the principles and truths that Adventism has presented. And if there was ever a case that does happen to be something like that, then maybe I'd consider. But as of right now, it's kind of like Occam's razor, where it's like, you know, the, the theory of least assumptions. And right now, um, I just have the least, I, I like to believe in things that have the least amount of assumptions. Yeah, so I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> Do you have an example of like, maybe like a superficial thing that, christians or adventists say that doesn't make sense to you um i think a lot <laughs> i think some things that don't make sense and may never make sense to me are the things that involve like the future and this and specifically in regards to like heaven for example uh there are a lot of theories and concepts of what heaven will be like right you know whether it's like you know will there be marriage in heaven will there be and it's not that I don't believe in those things. It's just they're harder to kind of tangibly have a better grasp. Although there are obviously more tangible things that we can look at. Like, you know, for example, like, um, you know, faith versus works or, you know, our whatever state of the dead, like things like that. There, there is greater evidence in those things. But I think the things that are just more kind of gray area matter, so to speak, are things that I have a harder time, not necessarily not believing in, but rather not... Um, completely giving my all for if that makes any sense yeah that makes sense what are some strengths of the adventist church so i think one of the biggest strengths that i have in terms of the adventist church and i know it's not always the case but for me one of the things that kept me going in terms of adventism is this sense of self-reflection like really teaching yourself and not just listening to hey wow, that pastor preached a powerful sermon, therefore I got to follow it. No, like I've always been taught. And again, I know this may not be always the case for people who may be listening. But for me, I found that a really big strength is that even within Adventism, as we speak, you know, as we know that GC is coming up, like we're always trying to grow. Like Adventism as it's from its roots historically has grown. It's not like, boom, Adventism existed, has existed, and always will exist. It's more like Adventism has been brought up throughout the years. There have been things that we have been learning throughout the years, certain doctrines that have been kind of been instilled and, and have been applied throughout the years, and we're growing, and we're learning, and we're changing, and we're evolving, so to speak, or a lack of a better term. And for me, I think that really is a big strength because it shows that it's not just like, hey, believe in this because everyone else says you should believe in it. It's more like, hey, collectively, we are all on the same boat. We are all still trying to learn more about who God is. And there are a lot of things about, you know, God and science or whatever you want to name it that we're all still learning, but we're all kind of doing it together. Now, again, I know that's not always the case for everybody's experience, but for me, that was just something that I was able to experience. And I think that's a big strength with Adventism. And on the opposite side of things, what are some things that uh, the church needs improving? Right. I think in regards to that, one of the things I find a challenge that Adventism has is having this better grasp of you don't have to be in the world to be of the world. 
Um, and what I mean by that is, I feel that Adventism itself, you know, the whole remnant thing and whatever is great. But I think what happens is that when we get so stuck upon that, we tend to almost like segregate ourselves. Like, hey, we're Adventists. We are the truth. And therefore, everyone else that's outside of Adventism, therefore, is wrong. And I think that even though that may have some truth in it, I think that that approach isn't the best. And I think that's one challenge and, and difficulty that we're having as, as an Adventist church is that especially, you know, things are coming up, you know, whether it's like the questions of your sexuality, whether that's you got to be vegan, I don't know, whatever you name it. I think that rather than coming across with this sense of condemning segregation and inequality, like, hey, you're not the same as me, rather like why not approach things to better understand who other people are? You know, I remember evolution was a big thing in terms of doctrine and, and, and try to understand that. And that just is one aspect, but I think like if we just have a better sense of, of being able to be more like Jesus, where we follow Christ's method alone, where we're mingling with people, we're, min we're, we're, we're ministering to their needs and, you know, we're gaining their confidence and then, then they follow us, then that would be just so much more better rather than us being like, Hey, we are Adventists. We have pride and therefore, you know, anyone else has the wrong message. And I think that is a challenge that we need to work on as a church. Why are people leaving the church? That's a very good question. Um, there are so many answers to why people are leaving the church. Um, you know, it could be as simple and specific as, you know, you, someone was hurt. You know, some people leave the church because they were personally hurt from a, a church member. Or sometimes people leave the church because they just didn't get that aspect of that loving aspect of God in their experience in, in, in the church. Um, and what I think is, is sad is that sometimes we focus on the fact that people are leaving the church, but the reality is that we're, they're not leaving the, it's not the, the fact that they're leaving the church that's, that's a matter of, of questioning, but it's more like they're leaving Jesus and their relationship with him. That's the part that we should be focusing on. But instead we get all like, oh no, they're leaving the church. And, and then we kind of like forget, we could like forget about that, the, the, the person. And there's so many other reasons why, People can leave the church, whether that could be their questioning of doctrine. So I guess bottom line is it really stems with the, the, the experience that they have with individuals as well as the church. You know, is the church presenting themselves as a good example, as we mentioned, right? Are they presenting themselves as a, as Christ would? Are they living up to that expectation and example of Christ's life? And if not, then they need to really rethink it. And then even on an individual level, am I showing this person you know, what a real, genuine, Christ-like character is. And I think that's one of, that's just encapsulating a, a bit of the reasons why some people are leaving the church because they don't see Jesus. They're seeing something else. And that, that really sucks to hear, but it's the reality. What is your hope for the church? What do you want the church to look like in the future? So my hope for the church is is to really see that greater example, that greater aspect of, hey, we are not just a church that says things, that we're also a church that actually does things, that when at any point people question our church, that we can respond and say, hey, like, we live it. You know what I mean? It's not like, hey, we just say you should go to church on Saturday, but like we're actually doing it and we're actually doing it out of genuine faith, not just like, oh my goodness, obligation. Like, I think that I want to see a church where we're really living up to what we say. 
I would like to also see the church be more open to dialogue with different types of people and to be open to, to being uncomfortable. I think that being uncomfortable is good. And I think that we are becoming very comfortable as a church. That the moment we hear things like homosexuality or evolution or music, then we just kind of close the doors like, no, no, we're Adventists. They're, you know, like we, this is what we believe. And we don't give that opportunity to hear them, hear other people out. And I think that's, that's something I'm looking forward to is actually having people be comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes any sense, even though it's like an oxymoron. So how do we achieve that? I think the way we achieve that is it starts from the individual level, right? Sometimes we, I, as great as I believe God can do miracles, at the end of the day, it really starts with you. It really starts with each and every single one of us. And it's like, hey, am I doing, am I living the way Christ lived? Am I following his example? And do when people meet me, do they actually see Christ? And from there, that would lead, I, I would be confident enough to say that I think that would lead to people really seeing Christ. And then it would be like a domino effect. I mean, if we look at Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well, she was one person, but she reached out to like thousands of people because of her experience with Jesus, just her experience alone. And in the same way, we can also do that. But it starts with us first. And if we're not doing our part, then it's not going to do anything. And so I really encourage that we need to do our part personally with our relationship with God. Are we right with Him? Are we talking to Him? Are we getting to know Him? And are we like Him? And can people see that? Thank you, Gil, so much for being on the show today. Uh, before I let you go, do you have any plug-in shout-outs or Goodreads that you'd like to recommend to the audience? Well, I mean, uh, if you're listening, you know, shout-out to you, Fritz, for Sevi Sit Downs. You guys got to check him out on Instagram and Twitter. You guys have a Twitter now, right? If I'm yes. Correct? Yes, you guys have a Twitter. You know, check that out. Um, I'm also on YouTube and Instagram under xdjgil. That's xdjgil. I release content on YouTube um, as well as music. As I mentioned, like I produce music. And so down the line, you know, hopefully I'll be releasing some some good music for you guys out there. Um, as well as we're um, we're also trying to start our own podcast as, as well. Um, we're still working on it as of right now. The, the name for the podcast is What in the Word. Um, I'll keep you posted with that some more. Um, in terms of good reads, obviously the Bible is a good read. You know, the, the, the Conflict of Ages series is always good. Any, you know, Ellen White's good, but there's also a lot of books that I would look into. Another book that I would really recommend is this, is a book called Theodicy of Love. And basically, in a nutshell, it's, it's understanding a God who claims to be loving but yet there's suffering in the world. And how do we understand that? And it's a very good book. It's, it's written by a professor from Andrews University. However, his publication is actually not Christian at all. So you could find that book on Indigo. You can find that book in Chapters. I don't know who's listening to this in America, Barnes and Noble. I don't know, whatever. But at the end of the day, that's a really good book. Theodicy of Love. I'd really check that out as well. Okay. Thank you, Gil, so much. Thank you. <laughs>